Hey, Scott. Yes, sir. How do you deal with the crushing reality and disappointment of life? By playing video games. Huzzah. Coming to you almost live, being chased by the ghosts in a Pac-Man maze, this is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your harried hosts. Harried and pixelated, I should say. We are very 8-bit yeah. today. Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. I, I feel like that's how I looked at it. We are... <laughs> we are <laughs> yeah, that's right. We are in an 8-bit world talking to some 8-bit guests today. That's better than 2-bit, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, we have Ramin Ostad, who's been on the show before. But a very long, long time ago, ago yes. yes. Galaxy far, far away. Was our second ever episode? Was it? Yeah. Third, Third. maybe? And Third. Anita. Yeah, Anita yeah. and I were talking about video games and writing. and Storylines. Yeah, it was story all about lines, that. And we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to some of that. Yes. But I'd like to introduce our other guest, Matthew Dykstra, yeah. is with us on the show. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my name. Yeah. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> no, uh, Was I mentioned? What? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and uh, these two guys are uh, the co-hosts, shall we say, or... Some yeah, of the hosts. Co-hosts, some, some of the hosts yeah, of, of Two of the hosts of user-created content, content yes. Yeah, of user-created content, which is a video game podcast based here in Edmonton. Uh, and there are seven other hosts, is that right? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, we, we rotate. Had, yeah, and we had a train, I guess, of, yeah. of hosts yeah. we had. Well, I mean, the, it's me and Corey and Matt and Anthony. It's the core. We've had Tyler Satchel on there. We've had you on there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had David Chan from Game Camp. Logan um, Foster. Logan Foster. Dave was kind of our rotating chair for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kyle Yusinski. Kyle Yusinski, yeah. Has the most huge game collection I've ever seen in my life. How so big? like a thousand now. What? No, dude, like when we he did a feature on him. System, okay, like, when we had all the old like ones. literally every single fi- system ever made. Neo when, Geo. Yeah. yeah. What? Like when I was his okay, when him and I would hang cuz him and I met when we worked at CompuSmart that was in West Edmonton Mall at the time and we um he had Every console, he had 14 consoles on one TV stand <laughs> with like two switch boxes completely full. With a, with a fire hazard yeah, waiting to happen. Just waiting wires. to happen. They're all hooked up, all yeah. playable at any minute if you wanted to. And he still has it. It's fantastic. One. It's brilliant, really. Yeah. Like, we would do days where we would just hang out in his house and the parents had a projection theater room. Oh, my Lord. And we yeah. would just play, like, we played, like, when TMNT, the arcade game came out on Xbox Live, we played that. <laughs> just remember like, that game? So That's bad. fantastic. Yeah, badly fantastic. Yeah, badly fantastic. Yeah, and and really we wanted to have you guys on the show because it had been so long, we and we never had Matt on the, on the show, mm-hmm. and and he's actually the only one who can talk. Yeah, really, really very gifted with the gab, and uh, we've been talking about oh, wow. so many civic and hard hitting issues lately that we just wanted to talk about video games. Yeah, Take and a break. not including all the movie talk that we've been doing <laughs> yeah, like no nonstop for three months, but Prometheus, man. That oh trailer, God. like, I haven't felt like that about a movie since, like, Jurassic Park. Since, like, the Jurassic Park trailer, I was like, I think I'm going to be watching this trailer, like, six million times before the movie comes out. I think we've started talking about movies. Yeah, again. we yeah, somehow okay. got immediately <laughs> off topic. It's just because that movie right now is, like, so... Let me ask you a question. Do it. 
do you think do you think the the first Jurassic Park do you think it stands up? Yes, it does. Okay, just the animatronics that Spielberg used. It's going to be coming out in 3D. That's how much it stands up. That's awful. Lost World on the other hand, (laughs) that's just the worst thing I've ever heard. It's just terrible. Oh my god, that was such a foul movie. Because who makes Jeff Goldblum the main character in anything? Why Uh, why would you do that? Michael Crichton, because he wrote a sequel where Ian Malcolm was the main character, despite having been killed off in the first First book. Yeah, in the first book. But I mean, who Jesus. was Jurassic Park a book first? Was it? Really yes. Yeah, yeah. And the movie was based on the book, and the book is actually quite good and worth reading. Okay, I didn't. But not even don't know bother with the sequel. Mm. The sequel book is actually not that good either. <laughs> I liked the third movie. I think I might be the only one that I know who likes the third movie. What, what happened in the third movie? They bring the they William H Macy loses his kid on the island. Oh yes, so yes. They sucker in yeah. Sam Neill, and then suddenly he lands on Alcatraz. Oh wait, no, it's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he rips his eyes out and there's this <laughs> evil spaceship trying right. to kill everybody. Right. No, a different movie. Yeah, that was a different movie. <laughs> I love that movie, though. Event Horizon is great. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Sam Neill, also notable for uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Yes. Another good yeah. horror. Yes. Another uh, underappreciated cult horror film. Mm. Yeah. How old is that one? That one's, oh, many years. I was in high school when it came Speaking out. Speaking of cult horror movies, last night I watched Tucker and Dale versus Evil. So good. Fucking supposed to be very good. Hilarious. Yes. Awesome. Like, I don't even know if it was like ha ha funny, but it was just one of those things where like everything seems so plausible. Like he, like no, really, it did. Like there's one where like there's a part where like Alan Tudyk, um, they're at their cabin and these kids, these teenagers, like the premise is that these teenagers are hanging out in the woods like a summer vacation or something. They're going camping, and Tucker and Dale bought <clears throat> this vacation home in the summer. It's like a shit piece, but they love it. And they're just these, like, hapless, happy guys. And then they, like, go fishing, and the kids are skinny dipping in the same pool- pond, and one of the girls, like, falls and hits her head, so they take her back to take care of her. And so her friends come to this cabin, and Alan Tudyk is, has this chainsaw, and he turns this chainsaw off to cut the, on to cut this log. And he cuts into the log, and this swarm of wasps come out of the log. And he starts freaking out, so he's running around with this chainsaw and is scaring the other kids. They believe like, that the, they're in a, in a psycho killer movie. Yeah, they, like, but Tucker yeah. and Dale... They, 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 Think that Tucker and Dale are like psych- hillbilly psycho killers. But when they're actually just two <laughs> completely innocent guys, and then, uh, as I understand it, the teenagers start killing themselves off <laughs> well, in yeah. increasingly bizarre and <laughs> yeah. and yeah, hilariously like, unlucky ways, well, but in ways that make it look like Tucker and Dale are doing it. Yeah, <laughs> their fear drives them to, to do something. Yeah, <laughs> actually, fucking, um, that movie's fucking my, hilarious. My fiance's aunt produced that movie, so actually I saw that over a year ago. What? Like, actually, yeah, I saw it right after it was well, finished because it filmed in, in, you know, in Vancouver. I was going to say it's a Canadian production. Yeah, yeah uh, it is a Canadian so, production. Uh, actually. I saw that movie a year ago, and I was like, "Oh, I can't it, wait!" Until they filmed this it actually Calgary, comes out, and a lot of buzz uh, uh, happens about it, and it was so great that it, it did. For well. for a movie like that to work, it has to be written so well. It is, and like is. their their relationship is so like Tucker and Dale are so genuine together. It's so funny. I, I actually yeah, really really was surprised by that movie. Now we've talked about before when we had you on. We yes. talked about how important we thought story was in video games. Okay, and I'm assuming your opinion of that has not changed. It's actually increased. S- second to only to gameplay. No, see, opinion. and I and that's your opinion. Him and I diverge on that. <laughs> well, let's hear, it, let's hear it. Because, because, like, and I mean, my my best example is last my favorite game last year is Witcher Two. I think that's one of the best games ever made. Period. Just solid all the way through. All the gameplay is great. It doesn't, at least when it first came out. Now it's got like tutorials and stuff. But when it first came out, it didn't really. It expected you to know how to play a video game. And it, like, gave you all these bombs and knives and from the get-go. And it was like, listen, if you want to survive, like, your first encounter, you got to know how to use this shit. Hmm. And, like, realize that you have them and use them and, and go. But the best part of that game was the writing. Because for all of Mass Effect's, like, 
the the conceit I'll give Mass Effect is that I I love the franchise a lot because I love the writing and the and the mythology stuff more than anything. Yeah. But all the choices those games have is really paint by numbers. It's like you get numbers and you get to decide what number what color represents a number, but really you're playing the same spots. Mm-hmm. Right? But with Witcher it's like the f- end of the first chapter, there's so many like little choices in that game that that matter incrementally, but in the end of the first chapter, you have to make a choice, and it, both of them seem very logical in their own way, and you have no idea how it's going to change it. And that choice sets up a two cv- like almost entirely different paths yeah. of the mar- narrative, two main paths. And in those two paths, there's so many different choices you can make to the point where the end of the game, I fought like my main ne- like arch nemesis throughout that was throughout the whole game, and I woke up the next morning and felt literal remorse for killing the guy because i was like you know like i had every reason to kill him because he was in like he kept kind of kill me and like stole my girlfriend to get to like (laughs) use her as bait and like all this bullshit right and like killed this king and set me up as as his assassin and like from the beginning of the game and like and so i had and so at the end of the game i was finally like he was like you don't have to kill me i'll leave and you'll never hear from me again and i was like fuck that (laughs) <laughs> We've been through too much. It's over now. And then I killed him. And the next morning I was like, this is, I don't feel like I didn't need to do that at all. I really could have let him go because he makes you feel like you were never his enemy. You were just kind of in his way. And it takes a lot of skill to make me feel like I've never felt that in a video game in my entire life. I will say that uh, for Mass Effect 3, uh, I went on record saying that I have not uh, hated a video game villain so much as I hate Cerberus. Oh, yeah. In I Mass hate Effect Three, Ling, Ling, man. Every well, time, Kai Ling is, Kai Ling is so... the worst kind of video game yeah. douchebag. <laughs> he yeah. totally is. But uh, I mean, the elusive man mm-hmm. and Kai Ling and the organization itself are so—they are—they are the opposite of helping yeah. in the entire no, game. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and they become so obstructionist and yeah. so jarringly yeah. uh, in your face that it actually got to the point of just utter frustration with their existence. And I was looking forward to wiping them <laughs> and out. And it's funny if you that's, read... that's actually a side point to the point I was going to make though, because oh, yeah, you reminded yeah, me yeah. of it. Um, you mentioned that you feel that story is more important than gameplay, um, but then you talked about player agency. And I would say that player agency can be an element of gameplay, as it is in Mass My... Effect, as it is in Witcher. Okay, oh, sorry. Yeah. And I will cite Final Fantasy as a series which uh, does story very well and gameplay very poorly, because it's all about I, well, it's all about taking your little puppet that, character. What era of that franchise are we talking about? Starting though? around say eight or ten. Fair. You, okay, you're fair. running your little puppet through all the, uh, th- basically along a path to the next cutscene, mm-hmm. yeah. there's not really much gameplay. And 12, play. arguably, is a lot of puppeteering, which I liked, but a lot of people didn't. And and that's yeah. fair. But yeah. I would say that that's one of the things that ultimately turned me off of Final mm-hmm. Fantasy. But I really like Mass Effect. I'm sure I would like Witcher if I had a system right. that could run Xbox it. Xbox 360. Oh, fair enough. No, yeah, I don't. it's coming, it, buy it. It is like yeah. a must-own. Really? Fair enough. April, it yeah. honestly is a must-own. Uh, and I, I definitely will yeah. look into it then. Uh, but that they incorporate player agency and a strong story but those are complementary to the game. Well, and that's and that's actually yeah. that's exactly what I would have would have what I would say is that that's where Matt and I kind of diverge in that sense because but I in, in Mass, I, don't, I don't think that in terms of Mass Effect especially but, especially because in, in that game uh, a lot of the the gameplay is is story story yeah. so well incorporated into every every part of the gameplay in terms of your choices in order to try and save this this galaxy that mm-hmm. you know Bioware has crafted uh, to the point where like every single cutscene you're essentially 
kind of narrating yourself, right? You're, you're guiding yourself through the yeah. conversation. So in, in that game, they're almost one and the same. But like Scott said, there's several games where there's they're two very different things. You look at God of War, right? The story is yeah. very through the motions. Everyone who plays the game is probably going to come through with the exact same experience. They've gone through the same things. But, but at the same time... The, the you, gameplay is really, really good. But at the same time, God of War 3 is a perfect example of why I disagree with that. Because in, in certain senses, because I feel like... When you when you make a character, like when you try and nar- marry narrative and gameplay, you have to bring your player to the same emotional state as the character. And in God of War three, when you're like eye gouging Helios, like that's cool in a sense that like I'm outside of the game and as an objective observer, that's kind of interest like fun and like wow you're really like pushing in but as someone who's playing that game <laughs> like investing so morbid oh no. wow that's really cool you're really just pushing in that's yeah cool. <laughs> like on the no on the sticks it's like it's like objectively like oh it's cool how they tried to make that an intuitive function of the controller yeah whatever, yeah. Right? yeah but when you're playing the game it's like i'm out eye gouging this guy and i will never be as angry as kratos ever in my life unless like someone gets murdered in my family so it's like <clears throat> you know and that it's whatever but <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, and that's wait a one minute. of the, that's no one of the things that I, I, I had listened to a segment of another podcast, mm-hmm. and it was before I had picked up Mass, it was before Mass Effect 3, right? just before it had come out. And uh, I, I listened to the podcast anyway because I was intrigued by the concept. And it was, I, well, I want to say it was the Escapist podcast. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how uh, one of the guys on the podcast was a huge Mass Effect fan, just absolutely loved the series, had played it all the way from one, was looking forward to uh, in, uh, importing his Shepard so that he could continue the story. And the other guy, yeah. completely fresh to the franchise, had never played it, but wanted to play Mass Effect 3 right. and intended to start with Mass Effect 3. And the argument was which one of them would have the better experience. And they just completely all fell on the side of the guy who'd played it from one. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because his playing the game from one all the way to three meant that he had invested all this time and all of this emotion yeah. and all of these uh, important decisions and growth into the previous two games. He was invested in the universe. He had a reason for wanting to save it from right. the Reapers. Screw those guys. It's my universe and I'm going to save it. Whereas the guy just coming in from three gets all this backstory and it's like, eh, I'm going to go shoot some guys now. There's not as much investment in it. And I will say, actually, the worst, because I, I played one on Xbox, two on PC, and three on PS3. So I rebought two so that I can play it again after I'm done this and play two and three together. <clears throat> because playing three having played the other two games and not having their saves is actually the worst way to play this game. Is that right? It, it honestly feels hollow because it's like... Because you invested because you, yourself in and, different parts of different universes, right. essentially. And because, and because you go through the beats where all of these, like, characters are dying and, like, they're these nobody, no-name, like, placeholder characters for characters I know are supposed to actually be there, but ah. they're not there yeah, because... Why, why on earth did you do it that way? Because that, I bought... That sounds terrible. I bought the 360 version of 2 and then I downloaded the PC one to test how it looked and it ran, like... <laughs> butter so i just played it on that <laughs> you're such a geek what? i love it i think that's wicked <laughs> well it's that time of month again story slam and i want to be clear i am not referencing anything else we're clear cool okay this month's story slam also happens to have been a very special story slam because it was slam off the culmination of an entire year of story slamming believe it's called story slamming and that means that the story slam grand champion was crowned this month now as usual we've chosen one story we both really enjoyed and paired that with the winning story in this case the slam off championship story we're going to share them with you so to start up 
Here's our runner-up story. It's a story by Elissa Hudson. Hope you enjoy. At the tender age of very young, Margot acquired a love for possibilities. Like most civilizations that predated science, Margot liked to match the information that she gathered from her observations to explain the world to herself. It was of no concern to Margot whether she was right or wrong. What she loved was making sense of it. And sense, Margot discovered, was often easier to come by when one did not obsess over silly things like truth and fact. Sense was about perceptions, patterns, and possibilities. Margot would spend many an enjoyable hour making sense of things, and she was especially good at it because she was not invested in being right. She was only invested in being curious. Like at supper, as she salted her food, she explained to the table that there were tiny people living below and giants living above. When the giants salted their food, we saw snowfall. Therefore, it stands to reason that when we salted our food, the tiny people had bl a blizzard. Her mother just shook her head and pressed on to compliment Margot on her impressive imagination, emphasizing imagination in order to deny any responsibility for misinformation. One day, Margot was hard at work trying to figure out how to explain a problem more complex than the weather. She was trying to figure out love. It started when she was playing with her favorite stuffed bear, Patrick. She noticed for the first time that while many of her friends had bears or kittens or puppies to play with, grown-ups didn't seem to have any. She asked her mom about it. Her mom said that grown-ups didn't need bears and that's why they didn't have any. But I love Patrick so much, Margot told her mother. It's sad that you don't have a Patrick to love. Her mom said that when she was little, she had a little pink stuffed pony and that she loved that pony too, just like Margot loved Patrick. But when she got older, she didn't need the pony anymore. Now she loves Margot and Daddy and Auntie Marie and Trisha and that they can love her right back. And then she told Margot that one day she would understand the difference between loving a bear and loving a person. And so Margot was determined to figure out the puzzle. That day, Margot found a Valentine's Day card crumpled at the bottom of a drawer. On the front were big red hearts, and inside it said, I love you with all my heart. Oh, thought Margot, that must be a piece to the puzzle. Later, Margot's cousin Trisha came over for dinner. Trisha may have been Margot's most exciting cousin. She was a grown-up, but a pretty young one, and she was an actress. As Margot ate her spaghetti and meatballs, Trisha told them all about life as an actress. She talked about rehearsing for plays and learning her lines by heart. Then she, uh, then she talked about how much fun it was to play a character because you got to make all sorts of choices about them. And then she talked about how it's a lot of work to be a good actor because all you get is the lines and learning them by heart isn't good enough. You have to learn them with your choices. When Margot went to bed that night, she spent a long time with her eyes open, staring at the ceiling, trying to fit everything together so that she might learn how to understand love like her mom said she should. She just couldn't figure it out. But then, all of the events from the day clicked together and Margot jumped out of her bed and went down to the TV room to fetch colored blocks that she used to play with. On her way back upstairs, her arms overflowing with wooden alphabet blocks, she nearly ran into her mom who asked her what she was doing out of bed. Just getting some blocks. Her mom told her that it was probably too late for blocks and didn't Margot agree? Oh yes, mom, but I need them for my rehearsal. Come, I'll show you. And Margot led her mom into her bedroom and opened her toy box and put the blocks inside. It's like you said, mom, grown-ups don't need toys because they already know the difference between loving a bear and loving a person. 
but I'm a kid and I need to play. And just like Trisha said, to do a play, you have to rehearse. And you, have a, and you had a little pink stuffed pony that you rehearsed with so that you could learn to love people when you're older, just like I rehearsed with Patrick. And then I think that Patrick might get bored when I put him in his toy box. And I love him and I don't want him to be bored, so I'm bringing him some toys. That's my choice. Margot's mother was tired and was skeptical of any logic that would get her daughter out of bed at, after bedtime. She tried to reason with her using facts. You know that Patrick isn't real, Margot. He can't play with things on his own and he doesn't get bored. He is a toy. Yes, Mom, I know, said Margot. But if I have to learn to love a person, I have to rehearse really hard. Because, Mom, I know the lines of the play. Listen, Mom, I love you with all my heart. I love you and Patrick and Daddy and Auntie Marie and Trisha and everyone with all my heart. But my heart is not enough. The difference between loving a bear and loving a person is that bears don't have feelings. If I leave Patrick in this toy box, he doesn't care. But you would care, right, Mom? So if a person was stuck in a box, they might want something to do. So I'm just rehearsing with Patrick because I already know how to love people with all my heart. Now I'm learning to love them with my choices. And as far as science is concerned, Margot's theory was probably somewhat less than sound. But Margot doesn't really care much about being right. And her curiosity would later prove to serve her very, very well. You know, when she got around to practicing on real people. But in the end, there can be only one grand champion. And this year, the Story Slam champion is none other than Omar Mualam. And here's the story he wowed the audience with. The, f the first time I met Sal Salim, he was idling in an Escalade toward the drive through window with one hand on the wheel, which he had to reach for because he leaned back so far. He ordered a pizza from me, but before I could give the order to my cousin Bilal, he said quite firmly, I need you to wash the knife and cutting board from any traces of ham. You're Muslim, I asked, kind of gleefully. I was a kid in a tiny town where there were few others to relate to, let alone look up to. Yeah, said Sal. And then he paid me $40 from a ball of money thick as a lint roller. He pulled out another bill, a 10, and handed it to me. Salamu alaikum, he said, and drove away. So it didn't take very long for everyone in town to figure out he was a drug dealer, specifically <laughs> a, cr a crack dealer. Sal Salim bought a house across from the junior high, and I'd watch during lunch break as gaunt figures emerge from the perfectly trimmed hedges. When the neighbors started talking, he built this 10-foot-tall fence, and you could see the heads of children behind it peeking and hiding as they bounced on the trampoline, waiting for their addict parents to leave his house. It contradicted everything about our shared faith, but I felt like I really knew Sal Salim better than anyone else. Rarely did anyone see him but me. Every day I worked at my dad's restaurant, taking and giving orders at the window, and he'd roll through to order a doner, a pizza, a steak. Sometimes he'd design his own burger and, and tip me extra if I made it happen. Uh, he was always polite. He asked me about school, about sports, and during Ramadan, he'd give me something extra if I was fasting. And one day I didn't fast, and he seemed genuinely saddened by that. Bilal, my cousin, was jealous, not because of the tips, but the friendship. See, Sal Salim was the kind of cool guy that kids like Bilal want to be, and I was the kind of dweeby kid that's supposed to get in the way of those aspirations. But of course, Bilal could never be Sal Salim. He was too stupid, too cheap, and too petty. He was four years older than me, but acted way younger. Twice I saw him spit in a do-over meal that was sent back, and those were just the times that he was caught. 
This one time I saw him take the top of a burger bun and smear it against the floor. Hey, I yelled. I marched over to him. I ripped the burger bun from his hand and tossed it in the garbage. Go wash your hands, said I. I was the boss's son. I could do that. On the way to the sink, though, Sal Salim pulled up, and because I wasn't by the window, Bilal took his order. They got talking about something. I don't know what it was, but it took longer than an order of pizza. Their voices got quieter and quieter until my cousin turned away to make a pizza, and then he washed the cutting board very slowly and carefully. I went over to say hello, and Sal's window was rolled up, and he was rolling a cigarette. He looked at me, nodded, and then turned back to his smoke. And that was the last time that Sal ever said anything to me, unless it was to ask for Bilal. They'd have their long conversations. He'd finally order something. My cousin would make it, deliver it, take the money, and then always they'd shake hands. One busy night, Bilal and I closed the restaurant together, and he gave me a ride home. There was a steaming pizza in the back seat. The last order of the night, he said, as we pulled over to the side of Sal Salim's house. Wait just a minute, he said. But then Bilal returned even faster. He tapped on my window, and I rolled it down. Sal says you should come in. Sal lived alone in this spotless bungalow with 20-foot-high ceilings, and two birds freely circled their master on the couch. He had a smoke in his mouth and an Xbox controller in his hand. He paused the game and stood up to greet me. Omar, salamu alaikum. Sorry your cousin tried to leave you in the cold. Well, just be a minute. Can I get you a glass of milk? It was not the white substance I expected him to offer, but I said yes. He poured me a glass and then handed me the video game controller. Play for me, he said, but don't die. <laughs> he smiled and then wandered into the kitchen with my cousin. Well, a week later, I heard banging at the front door of my house. I was the only one home. I opened it, and Bilal tried to force himself in. He was wild, and I was terrified. I pushed it against him with my entire body, but before it shut, he spat. Not at me, but behind me, and I couldn't see what it was. Through the window, I watched him run across the front yard, across the street, and then into the flashing red and blue lights that came at him from the back alley. I picked up the wet glob of saran wrap and spread the plastic edges out until it was flat. Though I'd never seen crack before, I knew that's what these crystal balls were. The next day, Bilal didn't come to the restaurant, uh, but Sal did. It, my hand shook as I slid open the window. Salamu alaikum, he said, and then ordered. With my cousin gone, it was just me on pizza duty. So, don't forget, said Sal, motioning as if to clean with a rag. I went over to the counter, stared at the cutting board and knife, and then I reached into the cold silver tub, grabbed a handful of soggy ham, and I wiped it methodically all over them. Story Slam runs on the third Wednesday of every month at the Haven Social Club. It's 15120 Stony Plain Road. Sign up is 7 o'clock and everyone is encouraged to come down to either read a story or just sit back and enjoy. Best of all, it's free. You, of course, encouraged to donate a few bucks when they pass the hat for the night's prize. But otherwise, it's a great opportunity to come out and enjoy some up-and-coming storytellers and to just have a good time and maybe even see us. So be sure to come down and check out Story Slam at the Haven Social Club. This is The Unknown Studio. Have you considered sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast? Well, this is your opportunity. The Unknown Studio is looking for advertisers. If you're interested, contact Adam at theunknownstudio.ca or Scott at theunknownstudio.ca and this space could be filled with your ad. Now, back to the show. 
we should take a quick moment. Yeah. To yeah. thank our sponsor, actually. Yes. Uh, we've mentioned movies. We've mentioned video games. Something that is both a movie and a video game is Harry Potter. That's true. And what you might not be aware is Edmonton has its own Hogwarts. That's a true. Hogwarts of... Oh, of digital media. And in fact, and the headmaster there is the Dumbledore of the Hogwarts of digital media. Uh, his name is Owen Brierley. And the Hogwarts is he called, of course. It is called, Owen of course, Guru Digital Arts College. Yes, that is correct. If you want a new career and it involves computers and arts. And video games. Which is also possible. Yeah. You can check it out. They do have a video game program, which is kind of in its infancy it's, there it's it's in the ground stages you can get in now and you can practically help them develop it they're doing something very interesting right now they're working with a company called rocket fuel games here in edmonton mm. and they're they've got a kickstarter project on kickstarter they're trying to raise funds to develop this game that will teach uh uh disabled 16 to 18 year olds how to use math it's it's unbelievable it sounds so, so, so cool. And you could be a part of it. And you could be a part and of it. And so much more. Eat that, Tim Schafer. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So check out gurudigitalarts.com. Or you can just go to their downtown campus, say hi to the secretary, and probably get shown around. Yeah. It's a really cool by spot. By the secretary. Actually, also possibly by, <laughs> yeah, by Owen Briarly. By, by the headmaster himself. <laughs> yeah. So thank you to Guru for supporting us. There was a game that I played this year that that I, I actually saw Greg Walker comment on. It was Uncharted Three. Oh God! I, I want to talk about this because <laughs> okay. I didn't actually because I believe you had him on the show when you talked. Yeah, about yeah. It. Now yeah. I didn't I didn't get a chance to listen to that episode. You but should. It's actually really funny. I love Greg. Greg hated Uncharted Three because he hates all of them though. He hates all three of those games. Okay, because he feels like they're just guided. They're guiding you to cutscenes. Yeah, basically, he thinks it insults the audience, which I I didn't like one that much. I, because really? I thought I thought the controls were awful. I really I like I the thing is I, like I liked all, I liked so. one I liked watching Matt play one because I liked the story. And that is definitely one of those games. In fact, I I'd say all of them in in all three of them where you could, you know, it's like turning a movie on. I'm, yeah. Like Rachel will be sitting on the couch, will be like, I'm gonna play some Uncharted and she's like, Oh, that's cool because I can watch it. I'm invested yeah. in the story and it feels yeah. it's not like a it's not like a you know, mission based thing the yeah, same way that Skyrim not, is not or a something. Like that. Game exactly, like yeah. And she just fucking loved that. But when I saw Greg's comment, and after playing three particularly, I was just like, yeah, it kind of felt the, like... Th I feel like three is just a complete... Like, Matt and I disagree, because he, he kind of liked it by the end, but I just, th like... Three? Yeah. Because I, I can't stand that game. Like, I, I basically hated it more the more I thought about it. Is that just, right? Just I the last third. It's the No, the whole third. thing it is just gone, super... No, it it's super gone. insulting and very, like... Trying so hard to be cliche and like I feel bad because like I like Amy Hennig like they 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 just announced like Soul Reaver. There's a rumor that they're making a Soul Reaver reboot. Really? Oh yeah, dude. Did that you not see my tweet about that? No, that's one of my favorite ever games. <laughs> yeah, me, me and you have talked about yeah. that. And that, and I was saying and and he tweeted back to me that like it's gonna be sad because they're gonna have to recast Elder Elder God because Tony J is dead. Oh yeah. And one of the original writers died and too. And one of the original writers died too. But like Kane is still voice acting. Raziel is still voice acting. Kane's in Mass Effect Three. He's one of the Koreans. Who the fuck do you get to be the the, the voice of, of God? Yeah. Of like that kind of God too. Like Well, and Tony J had such a great oh, voice yeah, for him. So distinct. A, you need to get like Michael Clark Duncan to For do those that of you too. who don't know who Tony J is, you're probably familiar with Reboot. Or like He was yeah. Megabyte on Reboot. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so he was then, Megabyte. Then on then Reboot. Some, and he did all the narrating voices place. for World of Warcraft. That's also true. Up until yes. Burning Crusade. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, but why did we? What were we talking? About? We were talking about Uncharted. Right. No. So I like Amy Henning. Her writing is great. And Uncharted Two really like I bought a PS3 for that game and I never regretted it. Really. But three is just a clusterfuck. I feel like the aiming is completely off from the moment you start the game, and which apparently they patched in later on. Um, the the narrative is like all over the place. They don't really do as much with his character. Like there's a whole thing where you're walking through the desert. Matt agrees with me. You walk into the desert and nothing happens the whole time. Nothing had like this. Is it a beautiful desert? It is, but it's perfect. Like <laughs> that's perfect, why you're there. It's a perfect yeah. way to show off some like flashbacks or cutscenes of him and Sully when they're younger. Instead of the one part they show, and then they just like, okay, that's the setup for their like th- three, two of previous games of character development. <laughs> I've I've heard that as a as a um, I like, want to say a criticism of of a number of modern shooters as Agreed. well. Is that there's that there's no real yet. gameplay innovation in them anymore. It's all about uh, it's all about graphics primarily, new maps for the multiplayer without really being an upgrade from the previous game. Yeah. I'm not naming any names games, but right. you know who you are. <laughs> but otherwise, it's just and and some of the games are really egregious. Apparently, I don't play many shooters because I'm not good at them and I don't like them all that much. <laughs> but um, we do agree on Half Life. Uh, well, you know there are exceptions. Yeah. Uh, there are games that I do like that are first person shooters, but mm-hmm. um, where you're not even really the main character. You're following around other guys who are doing all the stuff, and you're just shooting guys along the way while they do all the interesting stuff, and you get to look at all the pretty scenery that they put in the game, yeah. and all the pretty set pieces, and all the pretty events, and the game gets pissed off if you're not going there to yeah. watch it. And it's like, at, at what point does it stop being a game and just start being tedious? Well, see, this is why, like, shooters in it, like, I haven't, I haven't, like to shoot and like I was bred on shooters like I think the if, if I hadn't played like Half-Life the first Half-Life and like Doom <clears throat> and all and like Wolfenstein and all those games I wouldn't be into games as much as I did there's a progression of that right and then Zelda was the next one of that but mm-hmm. shooters is like bread and butter because I love PC games and so now I look at the shooter genre and it's like third person shooters can be fun like Mass Effect is good Gears of War multiplayer is a lot of fun but they're not interesting in any way like they don't they don't do anything that's sort of like because i don't feel like you know it's it's funny because i play i think of half-life 2 and i always think of the part where you're in the canal and the and the tower comes down when you're in the speedo and like i've never i still remember being like holy fuck what is going on and like seeing like a speed under it and like having that moment shooters don't do that anymore for their grandiose spectacle they don't really get me in that way yeah and I don't know if that's because I'm like so used to it, or because I expect something more than like terrorists. Is that because <laughs> I'm no? It's your, not because I'm brown. Of your ethnicity, you white motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> honky. But no, I, no, it's not. It's just because it's so like, you know. I actually it, uh, speak of like I'll, I'll, I was listening to Weekend Confirm. They were doing their GDC talk, and someone on Weekend Confirm was talking about how, you know, Medal of Honor. Allied Assault. I love that game. Yeah, it's great. That game. game is brilliant, and the beaches of Normandy level is is immaculate. I watched Saving Private Ryan for the first time a month ago, and I was like, "This reminds me of Medal of Honor." Yeah. That is such a beautiful game because there are moments that we remember from wars that are classic. That whether they're good or bad, make great transition like translate well into that genre. Yeah. There really isn't anything like that anymore. Market Garden's probably the like the nearest one from Afghanistan, which they did in in Modern Warfare in Modern Warfare. 
in the first Modern Warfare. So it's like there aren't really any like great battles to invest in on a historical level. So now you're just like in these generic ass beat up Middle Eastern towns or in New York getting blown up in like every other shooter. See, when, when I look at when I look at sh- shooters, I think the the one that's actually really exciting to me right now is actually Bioshock Infinite. Yes. Just, just because, as a shooter, it still uh, pr- presents to control in the same way. You know, from the first person and, and ex- like that's perspective, I, different weapons, yeah. but it actually creates a very rich and mm-hmm. uh, diverse world and and sets up some sort of story that you'd be interested in and want to find out more. And that's why when you play a game like, uh, you know, Call of Duty or whatever, it's just. It's it can feel hollow at times. You're just you're, you're your soldier, your yeah. Your soldier B following soldier A from A to B, and everything that explodes around you has been. But I mean, if, if they made a if they made like a, a Call of Duty game where where you were like General Taylor, you'd just be fucking sitting in a room moving stuff around a, the map. But that's, you know? but that's the thing, right? It's it's it comes to the fact that me and Scott I think talked about this a long time ago. Which seems how, like an RTS to me. How? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <it's exactly. laughs> no, yeah. See, but that would be an awesome game. It'd be Command and Conquer, except. Not shitty. Um, But uh, the people who play Call of Duty, they don't play... They're like World of Warcraft players, right? Because they're not playing... They're not doing it for the game. They're doing it for the grind. The game is the chore. And they're like unlocks and all all that stuff and their level packs. That's what they play the game for. So those people aren't like... Yeah, the multiplayer, but for the the progression, the leveling, leveling, they're not doing it for the gameplay as much, right? And so it's like... I don't know if that's really even counts as, as as the kind of people that... This is why I always get mad when games like Modern Warfare or Call of Duty even have single players anymore. I feel insulted by them. What's the point? <coughs> you're, you're basically tagging on a single player to... To lure in guys like me who will never play the multiplayer. When really what you're trying to sell is a multiplayer yeah, product. It's, it's like, it's embarrassing. It's like, why even why even have that conceit? No one wants to pick up that game for the single player ever. I will say this... Uh, I was one of those people who was very skeptical when uh, Bioware announced that Mass Effect 3 would have multiplayer. <clears throat> so good. Having played it is super fun. Oh, so, it's like because the best I still ver- haven't tried it. Honestly, and part of, the, part of the reason that Mass Effect 3, and we were talking about story and gameplay being so good, is that Mass Effect 3 actually has really fun gameplay. And the multiplayer is basically an opportunity for you and three other people to just do that gameplay yeah. against waves yeah. of enemies. And it's actually super fun. It is the best yeah. horde mode I think I've ever played. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's even cooler when, when obviously you'd be playing with other people and be like, dude, use Singularity so that I can use yeah. this power, right? It, yeah, like if someone's an engineer, someone's an infiltrator, someone's yeah. a vanguard, you'd be an unstoppable. Well, yeah, I, I just... feel like that there, there should be a punchline there. <laughs> an engineer of, you know, yeah, walk into a bar. Yeah. Uh, I, here's a question for you. They meet in a sorry. Because I've been <laughs> I've been playing, I, I have not stopped playing Skyrim because I enjoy the world. Oh man! So see, much. now I got to go back into that once Masters is done. So it, I tell tried me, a couple of days ago, it, and I, you couldn't do it. I had two broken quests in a row. I saw you oh, tweet about that. That sucks. I, I, I was just because you're playing on PS3. You're playing it on the wrong format. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I have it for. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still enjoying it on the PS3, yeah. but it, it just infuriated me to enough to a point where I was like, man. Whenever something like ha- that like that happens that stops me from progressing, yeah. I just I get so infuriated because you're so, you're so free to do what you want and you and leave for, the game, don't you? Yeah, well, and, I, it, I just find and it ruins the point. immersion too, right? Because yeah. part yeah. of part of Skyrim, part of what Skyrim is trying to do with its style of gameplay, with the kind of open sandbox RPG gameplay, is to immerse you in the world. Mm-hmm. When something happens so well. like a dragon flying backwards, 
that ruins the immersion. And and I mean, let's be honest: the combat in Skyrim is not rocket science. No, it's not. You're you're there for <laughs> you're there for the for the quests and for uh, the hilarious Nordic accents and yeah. and for yeah. and for the world. So many people so sound the same I in know. this. this game. You're you're not really there to uh, for the hack and slash as much. No. And uh, when stuff like that happens and it breaks the immersion, it yeah. really does kind of ruin the experience. Which yeah. for me is just like lean back and then go swipe and go in. And then lean back <laughs> yeah. and it's like I would just summon flame atronox and send yeah. them in yeah. waves at my enemies. I do and that with sit frost, back with frost atronox. See, I always have a I always have a mage ally because I'm like a sneaker. I was yeah, like playing. Too, I was like playing rogues. I uh, I managed to become the heads of everything. Well, yeah, in the, in the world which that I, I, I am glad you can actually do, as opposed to Oblivion, where it's like, well, you're one of the companions. You can't be a thief. Yeah, thieves guild. Like, why not? I actually enjoy making multiple characters to go through the different quest lines. Maybe that's just me. Well, as opposed to, I, I am now the king of all Skyrim. See, well, yeah, no, do, see, do you feel like I'm your character would be like, you know, like I, I'm a companion, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't join the thieves guild. Like, is that, yeah. is that how you play? Yeah. Like, like I played because I played. I made a sneaky like thief character. I made a sneaky thief character. The intention of joining both the thieves guild and the dark brotherhood. Yeah. But over the course of the thieves guild quest, which I did first, uh, the the way that the without any spoilers. Uh, the spoilers. Way, it's been like, but still, there might enough. be people yeah. playing. Yeah. Um, but with without any spoilers, essentially the quest line uh, deals with like loyalty and kind of an honor amongst thieves thing. And by the end of it, I couldn't bring myself to join the Dark Brotherhood with that character. I was just like, <laughs> I cannot. I'm too good. I cannot yeah. do do this quest chain and yeah. then go and start murdering people for coin. That's just. <laughs> I cannot do that, so I had no. to make a new character to join the Dark Brother. <laughs> See, I would do that if the game wasn't a hundred hours long. <coughs> well, it's like from the beginning, they also give you the choice to choose between joining the Imperials or the the Stormcloaks yeah. in terms of you know. <laughs> See, yeah, but the, the Stormcloaks are a bunch of like racist assholes. That's, that's why my Nordic like... character joined the Stormcloaks. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I decided that my nice, dude was just nice so was so self interested and only only interested in bettering him, himself within the world that he he didn't want to join either faction. And now I've actually unlocked some. Unique things within the quest lines that because I haven't joined either, I can try to make peace with, between the two. I, that's I did, what I'm doing. Well, with I actually, yeah, yeah, I actually did yeah. that with my first playthrough. I didn't join you either. You broker peace. You try to broker peace between them, to, or at least oh, you does, does it not work. <laughs> I'm not there. Well, yet, I but. can't really remember. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know what the result was, but like, no. <laughs> see, and that's the problem with. Suffice, this is a problem with suffice to say, I believe that I successfully brokered a stalemate between the two while the dragon threat was going. Well, so, okay. but this is that's see, probably this what's is, coming my way then. This is the thing. Dragon, dragons reach. We talk about story, right? Let's talk about Skyrim that has like. The 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 beauty of Skyrim is I love I think I love Skyrim for the same reason I love Red Dead in a sense in a sense because I love that isolation I love the sense of just sort of like walking around I'll like slow trot through lots of areas in that game just because it's beautiful and the m sound and the sky and all of it and just, the music it's, yeah yeah fantastic it's, it's fantastic and that uh, one that, of the best <clears throat> scores uh, that Bethesda has ever put yeah totally in. and that 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 sense of isolation is really comforting to me for some reason. Right and like I, you know, it's funny you should mention that because unless I'm requesting hard, I fast travel like the day. Like I'll, I'll yeah. fast travel for that. Otherwise, I'm happy to jump on a horse and ride. Yeah, and I and Red Dead was the only other game I played where I was like, I'd rather not fast travel. Yeah, and like, but at the same time, every time I load up Skyrim, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like every single time I load it up, it's like I don't expect to do play the game. Like I, I almost play it almost like it's WoW because I turn it on and be like, expect there to be quests, and I'll well, figure out what I'm doing when I turn it on. As yeah. opposed to playing Mass Effect, where I'm like, all right, I'm in London, and like I need, I'm like, all this storyline shit has happened, and like I'm invested and I want to hurry and find out what the rest of this is. And Skyrim, it's not like that at all. Well, no, but yeah, Skyrim, I don't know for, about you guys, from from the be very beginning, I was just. 
hurled with so many quests right from the yeah. start. I think I have over two dozen outstanding yeah. main quests, and then under miscellaneous, it's oh, just God, like a, that miscellaneous a never tab, ending they, list. That actually is the is kind of an egregious offense to me. Agreed. That, that miscellaneous thing, because it's like they in no way does it does it tell you the value of any of these quests compared to each other. No, and and some of those miscellaneous quests <laughs> turn actually, into yeah. main or not main story, or but they you, become yeah, yeah own actual story. quests, yeah. or they give you uh, sh- shouts. Yeah. One thing uh, that I. Uh, we keep tying things back into yeah. Mass Effect. Uh, one of my early complaints of Mass Effect 3 was that it felt like for the first, I'm going to say three hours of the game, like I was just kind of being herded forward. Mm-hmm. And then I and and I felt like I, I had nothing else to do. I hadn't even been on board my ship and mm-hmm. explored the galaxy. Right. And then all of a sudden, yeah. boom, I had more stuff to do than I knew what to do, what to deal worst, with. And I was like, what just happened? Worst, <laughs> worst quest journal ever. On Mass Effect, on Mass Effect 3. 3. Yeah, Just the worst question. Like, not only do they not organize it that well, at nope. least you can sort them by, like, oldest, newest, but the descriptions are just the least helpful yeah, things on the fucking Yeah, they're incredibly vague. To yeah. the point where basically I finished every quest by going to the planet I vaguely thought it was supposed to be on. And there were the map and seeing where that person is that I need to talk to. And, and, that's, it. It. and that's it. And you're not sure why you're finding them anymore? I, I kind of am, but you, it's, it's not about why. It's more about... Like, because a lot of them, like, the side quests, like, you'll walk around the Citadel and you'll hear someone say, oh, I thought about, like, I found this thing in this nebula somewhere, but we can't read it for some reason. And then it'll be in your journal. <clears throat> you overheard it, and suddenly you decide to solve everyone's fucking problems. Yeah. Well, that's in because the that's of, the like, way Commander galactic... Shepard rolls. Yeah, yeah, I guess. You don't do that? You don't just walk around <laughs> solving like, mysteries? What is this, like, fucking, <laughs> like, unbreakable? He just, like, <laughs> stands in the hallway holding his arms out? Like, fuck off. And But that's fine. Like, I, it's, it's a conceit of the game, right? But then in the quest chain, it'll be like, this person in the Citadel wants this thing in some planet, but it won't tell you what... Like nebula or yeah, whatever for, the planet's in, and it'll be like just find it for a series that here. has uh, such deep lore. Like every and planet, a big fucking map. To be every planet honest. on the map has a story. Yeah, uh, all of the races are fully fleshed out. There's a history that you can delve into. You can get information on all the technology, yeah. but your quest journal. Can't even be bothered to I tell know. you what system to go. Yeah, to. really. Like, and that's what is kind of a pain in the butt. Trainer chick even doing if she's just like, like really. I don't know. It's just annoying. But uh, Kelly Chambers was better at her job. Is yeah, basically where we're going with that. It's because she wasn't a straight up lesbian. Now, uh, let's talk about the Canadian Video Game Awards. Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, now we, as of the recording of this <laughs> of this a show, on your iPad. that's that's my cat. <laughs> that's a cute cat. As the recording of this show, we don't know who the finalists are. We do know know who the, the nominees, nominees are. Though. And The Witcher Two is not on this list. Well, these are Canadian games. I are think. they are they all made yeah. in oh, yeah. Canada? Yeah. They're made in Canada. Yeah. And The Witcher was most definitively not made in Canada. So okay, yeah, no, Poland. Nor, no, Poland yeah. yeah, it's so it it's not even North America. It was represented by uh, a friend of the city, Tom Olay. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We've had him on the show. Yes, we have. Remember Tom Olay? I, I do. I said we had him on the show. <laughs> yeah, I agreed yeah. with you. I think he was Irish. Um, <laughs> is there an apostrophe after the O? I didn't no, know there, there no, isn't. So I don't think he's Irish. <laughs> we made the I thought the <laughs> Irish apostrophe is supposed to be. I, I mean, it's I, the indicative t- of Irishness. I haven't played a ton of these games, though. I have watched. I watched Scott Lilwall play Assassin's Creed. Uh, oh, I have not seen him in forever. He's a wonderful man. Yes, he is. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Lilwall. Uh, Dead Screw Rising other, Two. Scott. Really, really, actually, really enjoyed Dead Rising Two. Really, I, I really. And, but I hadn't played any other ones. Okay, I, I, well, well, the other the, one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like. The, I didn't love the other one. It kind of got old. Really fast. I mean, it's a mall zombie game, right? I like playing a photographer. 
photographer. <laughs> I like any game where you can play as a journalist. <laughs> That's your thing. <laughs> well, no, I just, I Dead just Dead Rising had <laughs> it was an interesting gimmick game. Yeah, but yeah. you're you're right. It kind of it grew old. Well, it was again, because mission based crap. Well, yeah, yeah, and I mean it. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's super difficult, uh, but it's unsatisfying. I don't know. Maybe that's no, the I word agree. I'm looking no, for. No, I, I agree that because because the meat of it is really not that satisfying to start. It's a the novelty is such a novelty. Yeah, and and it, the novelty wears out pretty quickly. Yeah, when yeah. you're like, okay, there's a mall full of zombies, and I'm stuck in here with them. Let's think because you, you don't feel like they're out to get really anybody but you. Yeah, essentially at any given yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, really. The, there's not really a whole lot of drama around you not wanting the zombies to kill the other characters in in the game. That was my my problem. Anyway, that's an interesting with, point. With, uh, yeah, it. it the zombie survival genre has been done better by other people. Yeah. Yeah. Dead Although, Rising was Dead Rising is is a good starting point. Yeah. Dead Rising Two, eh? If they wanted to continue the franchise and they could maybe deepen the characters and the story so that you were a little better invested in what was going on, yeah. maybe it would work out. Now, um, who here has played Assassin's Creed Revelations? I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, actually. Oh, I've only watched just... them get played, and they all make me want to buy the games. But I just You should buy Brotherhood. Yeah? yeah? That's Brother... the one that I watched Lowell play, I think. Revelations isn't... See, and that's the thing. I really don't want Revelations... As much as I like all power to Ubisoft, the franchise is fantastic. Revelations is not that great. Yeah. Because it really is Brotherhood with some additions that don't need to be there. And like the game, I honestly like rush through the main storyline because that's all I cared about. It's the most hollow. It is. It's I'll, very. It feels like a very hollow game that they sort of. I. I almost. It almost feels like it could have been a DLC pack, and the story would have been just as effective. Ouch. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd probably agree. Like with if that it could have been like bit, a five but... mission DLC pack, and I would have loved it. Now I'm gonna veer all the way off script again <laughs> yeah. because we were just talking about Dead Rising two, and I again haven't listened to the show where you talked about it. But what did you guys think of Dead Island? You know, we pl- we talked about that for a while. I I, Matt- I almost had a similar problem with that game where I, I I didn't really feel like the zombies were threatening again anybody but myself. Unless and unless friends. unless yeah exactly that's just what I was gonna get to. Unless you were actually playing co-op, I didn't find it all that fun because essentially you were the only person actually doing something about the zombie. Uh, apocalypse. Yeah, everyone else it, is just it, hiding out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's kind of how I felt. I just felt like the the quests were a little too, a little too hollow. Like at least like when you look at a game like Skyrim, all the other characters have you, you, they have very very easy to understand motives and th- they do things and they help you. That doesn't really happen in this game. You essentially just go through fetch quest after fetch quest yeah. until you're either killed or you've got to go do something else. And I found that the the quest system for getting uh, around the island. At times it was good, and at times it was really, really bad. But yeah, I found it a little bit glitchy. I, yeah. Again, I was, yeah. yeah, maybe just the PS3 being a piece But of I, I still like the idea of, of uh, face-to-face uh, melee combat. Uh, the, the first game that, that really did, did that really, really well for me was the, the first Condemned, Criminal Origins. Yeah. Have you guys ever played this game where... Uh, oh, yeah, you know, it's... It's, it's really worth, good, actually. Condemned 2 is actually really, really good, except for near the end they... Because st- Condemned is, like, the conceit of those games is, like, it's first-person... Fist, fist combat, basically, and it gives you really good intuitive yeah. like. Well, mixed in with like forensics and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, like, actually, it's really interesting. Because you're like a where, cop with yeah, weird you're a ghost cop powers f- or something. Well, fighting crazy homeless people, pretty pretty much, <clears throat> and then solving murders. But like you come upon crime scenes. And, and the scariest video game sequence involving mannequins in the history of video games. Oh God, yeah, yeah terrifying. Where and you are chased can... by mannequins that aren't yeah. moving. 
And in the second like, game, you'll, a you'll bear. be in a dark hallway, and you'll, you turn around, and there are mannequins, and then you'll turn back around, and the mannequins are there, and then you'll like walk, turn left and walk down the hallway, and then you'll turn right, and the mannequins are there. It's like a cross between Silent Hill and Doctor Who or yeah, something. Yeah, it's fucking like terrifying. That. And the second game actually makes a nod to that. The second game has the most terrifying game sequence with a bear in it. Yes. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah like you, chasing you through this cottage yeah, in this narrow it. hallway. It's fucking yeah. frightening. It's actually one of the, one of the best designed games. <clears throat> Pieces of gameplay I've ever played. Game. Too, yeah. oh, like, <laughs> you get to this cottage and this bear attacks and it's ripping through the walls and it basically chases you throughout the the cottage. But it's it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, that's wicked. They're very uneven, but they're they're worth playing. <laughs> Well, there's an election going on as we record this episode, and in a less than timely fashion, we devoted it to video games. But because we like to be vaguely topical, we tried to shoehorn in something that was election-related. There are two things we've never done on our show. We've never spoken to a person running for the Canadian Senate, and we've never spoken to an Evergreen Party candidate. And as it happens, I have a person on my speed dial that meets both of those criteria. Now, full disclosure... I have been friends with Elizabeth Johansson for several years and have shared the stage with her on a few occasions. But I also want to be clear the Unknown Studio is not talking to her to endorse her campaign. We're talking to her because she's interesting and she was easy to get in touch with. And let's face it, we're pretty lazy guys. So without further preamble, here's Elizabeth Johansson. All right, so uh, Senate elections are kind of unusual in Canada, are they not? That's true. Currently, Alberta is the only province that has Senate nominee elections, but BC and Saskatchewan are also discussing possibly following Alberta's example and doing the same thing. Now, is the Prime Minister actually, uh, I suppose, beholden to the results of the election? Does he have to uh, appoint one of the senators who is elected? Actually, no. The results aren't binding on the Prime Minister. Um, Prime Minister Harper has said that he will appoint from the pool of nominees that are elected in this election, but he still has the option of choosing absolutely anybody that he likes. But it would be kind of a dick move not to choose a person who is elected by the people of Alberta, presumably. Yes, I would have to agree with you on that. Yes. (laughs) I think that... uh, He's said that he will respect what the people of Alberta say in this election, and so I hope that he will do so. Now, why did you decide to run? Well, the last time there was a Senate election was about eight years ago, and I went to vote that time around. I looked at the Senate ballot and said, I don't really feel like I want to support any of these people. And I really felt like this time around there needed to be more choice more options on the ballot for people, and uh, I decided to put my name forward. Are you uh, at all disappointed with the, I suppose, the the candidates that are currently running in this uh, Senate election as well? Well, it is disappointing that some of the other parties have chosen not to endorse Senate candidates. I think that uh, Having the Senate nominee elections is a step forward from what the current situation is in the Senate, and it's a bit disappointing that they've chosen not to participate in that. Do you feel at all that it's because they maybe don't feel that they have a chance of winning? Well, that's hard to say. (laughs) Of course, that's not the reason that they give for it. Um, But I think that it's really hard to discern other people's motives for what they do. Maybe they're uh, 
I want to say their efforts they feel could be better used elsewhere, say running people for the legislature as opposed to for the Senate. That could be one of their reasons, yes. So why run for the Evergreen Party? Well, I think that uh, environmental issues are really, really important. Um, It's kind of at the base of everything around us. If we destroy our environment, we're really... Uh, that's bad. It's a. It's not going to be good, and it's going to be very expensive for the economy as well. If there's a big mess that we have to clean up, it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. And I think that um, we want to leave a planet that we can be proud of for our children and grandchildren. So better to, uh, I guess, take care of the environment a little more now than have to foot the bill for a major cleanup down the road. Absolutely. And I think that we have to remember that uh, the, a healthy environment and a strong economy have to go hand in hand. We have to pay attention to both sides of the coin and uh, work together to make that happen. Now, uh, Alberta traditionally tends to vote a little more conservatively, a little more on the political right. Uh, do, are you concerned at all running, uh, uh, let's be fair, on a, on a f- far more left platform than uh, then Albertans tend to vote, or do you feel that there is actually a lot of uh, kind of grassroots support for uh, more left-leaning parties in our province? Well, I think environmental issues kind of bridge all of the parties. I think there are people from across the political spectrum that are concerned about environmental issues. Um, like if you look at the Green Party nationally, the before Elizabeth May, the leader was Jim Harris, and he was came from quite a right-wing background, but the environmental issues were of passionate concern to him. And I think that can be applied to Alberta politics as well. I think even though there are a lot of people who um, tend to vote progressive conservative, that doesn't mean that they're not concerned about the environment. And when they have the opportunity to speak out about that, I think they do. Now, what people might not... uh... I guess, realize is that they don't just vote for one candidate for the Senate. They actually effectively vote for three. Are you hoping that that might work in your favor? I definitely hope so. It's a great opportunity because people don't have to just pick one party or one person. They have three votes on that ballot because we're electing three senators in waiting. So they can choose three people to support, and they don't all have to be from the same party. Now, people might not fully understand uh, what a senator-in-waiting is. Can you kind of explain that concept? Well, what happens in this election is that uh, Albertans are basically electing their nominees because of the way that the Senate is structured right now. It's still up to the Prime Minister to appoint senators, but these elections give Albertans a chance to have their say about who they think the Prime Minister should be appointed appointing to the Senate to represent Albertans. So the top three vote-getters on this ballot will be considered Alberta's nominees to the Senate. And when Senate seats come open, then the Prime Minister has said that he will appoint people from that list of nominees to those Senate positions. And is there any uh, indication when some Senate seats might come open for our province? I believe there's two openings coming up over the next two years. Sorry, it sounded like you had more to add there. (laughs) Um, 
it's hard to say necessarily because senators actually don't have to retire till age 75, although some may choose to retire for various reasons before that. Um, but I believe that there's going to be two openings coming up within the next couple of years. We're electing three um, Senate nominees at this time from Alberta, so if there's another one that comes up after that, between now and the next Senate election, then presumably the the third person would be considered nominated for that. Now, uh, assuming that you were elected, would you expect to be serving as a senator until your 70s? That's really difficult to say because I really do support uh, Senate reform, and I think that the way things are set up right now is not ideal. Um, so I would definitely be supporting making some reforms in the Senate to change that, moving to a fully elected Senate and with set terms for the senators rather than just uh, the age 75 retirement. That's that's. Fair. That's fair enough to say, after all. Uh, I'd, I'd say that's a fairly long commitment uh, to make to uh, hold one job until you're well into your 70s, one political job, no less. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, I know kind of see the Green Party as fundamentally the enemy of Alberta because of uh, their opinion on the oil sands. Uh, what do you generally say to kind of allay people's fears? I think that obviously people are concerned about um, the impact that the oil sands are having on our environment. Um, And we really need a lot better monitoring. The government, the provincial and federal governments are both really falling down on monitoring and we don't have the data to see exactly what the impacts are. But I think that, you know, realistically, Everyone knows we're not going to be able to just flip a switch and turn off the oil sands and everything will be happy. We really need to um, look at it in the larger picture, look at a balance between what the economy needs and what the environment needs, and be working in a positive way towards solving those problems. And I really think that we can make investments in our economy and other sectors that will decrease our dependence on the oil sands. And that would give us a bit more leverage when we're talking to to the people running those oil companies about what we expect in terms of of cleaning up what they're doing there. Are there any particular other sectors that you'd like to see Alberta invest more in? I think that uh, there's a lot of, of different things that we can expand our economy into. We can make investments into alternative energy sources. Um, We can invest in the arts, would be great. Um, There's a lot, BC gets a lot of uh, movie work and TV work and that sort of thing. And with the beautiful landscapes that we have in Alberta, there's no reason that uh, we couldn't be getting a lot more of that kind of work, movies and TV shows coming and working here. Um, of course, we need to support uh, the people, the economies that built this province, our farmers and our ranchers. Um, those are really important elements of our economy and, and really what built this province. And I imagine that you're uh, uh, speaking about uh, maybe a little more government patronage of the arts in Alberta as someone who is also involved in the arts in Alberta. Yes, that's true. 
Um, I have uh, BA honours in theatre and drama, and I've been quite involved in Edmonton Theatre, in the Fringe Festival and that sort of thing, and also with the uh, improv group Yegprov, which you may be familiar with. I think that um, there's so much talent in Alberta and throughout the pro in in Edmonton, I should say, and throughout the province of Alberta, and uh, just incredible artists doing inc- incredible work, and they could do even more. Um, so I really think that uh, investment in the arts is uh, really investment in enrichment, enrichment of life. Um, living here in Alberta, there's so much that we have here, and that can make a, a great life and. Um, the arts is definitely part of that. Are you at all concerned a possible Senate career might negatively impact your ability to uh, to be involved with the stage? Well, being in the Senate would definitely involve a lot of work, um, but I think that I would still have some time for artistic endeavors and uh, that kind of work that satisfies the spirit as well. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, thank you for taking some time out to uh, speak to me and speak to the show uh, this, uh, well, at the time that we're recording this, this evening. And uh, best of luck on your your campaign. Thank you very much. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. So this is Adam coming to you almost live from Credo Coffee, and I'm seated next to the beautiful and talented Amy Shostak. Hello, Amy. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, you're one of the people nominated for the Mayor's Celebration of the Arts Emerging Artist Award, um, and it's not the first time, is it? No, I was nominated two years ago, um, and Raymond Beisinger won, uh, and I was like, of course, of course he's going to win. He's so talented. So yeah, second year. So you are continuing to emerge then? Yes, apparently. Apparently, I find the category very interesting because some people, they're really the definition of emerging is very broad. So is it emerging here in Edmonton? Is it emerging nationally? I don't know, but uh, I, got, like, I got nominated, so I guess, I guess I'm emerging. It seems like it. And, and you've been up to all kinds of, of stuff. You're currently the artistic director for Rapid Fire Theatre. Uh, and before we started recording, you're telling me that you're you're putting out a lot of fires through email and stuff. What does a typical day for uh, an artistic director look like? Well, um, a Friday we have shows, so it's like I work from home, so I roll out of bed, don't don't eat or change into any kind of professional clothes, just start answering emails usually, or working on um, you know text for a marketing thing or whatever we're kind of working on. And then around 8 o'clock we have um, a jam, so all the younger players come and we warm up and we work on skills. 
and then uh, head to the theater for 10 o'clock and have a meeting, set up the teams, and do theater sports, and get home at 2 a.m., and that's that's the Friday. Yeah. I'm expecting that the 2 a.m. come home time is because you have to go out afterwards. You kind of have to go out afterwards. We, we actually, we do notes after shows. They usually take about half an hour just to go through everything and talk about what worked and what didn't work. And then by that point, definitely, you're like, I need a drink, so... Yeah. Now, I think that, like, having been to a few improv shows myself, you guys make it look easy, even on nights when maybe you're not getting as many laughs. But by the sounds of things, you guys take it really, really seriously. So when you sit down and do notes, is it is it a stressful experience for the players? Um, I mean... I like to think that it shouldn't be, that, you know, uh, eventually everyone's skin should be thick enough to understand that it's about the work and not about them personally. Um, and I think we really have been successful in the last couple of years of taking away that personality issue and making it more about actually the improv, um, which is important. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because you want it to look effortless, but there is structure there. And, and the thing that's interesting about improv is like, you're really working on you're working from nothing. It could be anything. So the more structure you have, the more you can hold on to and the more you can tell a story more successfully. Yeah. Now, uh, there's some exciting news for Rapid Fire Theater. You guys recently announced you're moving downtown to the Citadel. So where are you going to be located exactly and what does that mean for Rapid Fire? Um, we're going to be in the Ziedler Hall consistently um, and we're going to be running shows Thursday through Saturdays. Uh, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, which is a great expansion for us. Um, we've been at the Varscona for, I think, 22 years, and it's been an awesome home for us. Um, however, because of our growth, we've been running shows at the Arts Barns and already at Ziedler Hall and kind of split all over the city at Avenue Theatre on the north side. So it's really exciting. We get to consolidate all of our stuff into one place, run our public workshops there. We get a little office there. So it's finally like a step up for us, hopefully, in terms of like having everything under one roof. So that'll mean when you roll out of bed, you actually need to get dressed to go to the office. That's terrible. I know. I'm torn about it. Like, <laughs> not really, no. I'm excited because Karen, our general manager, she lives on an acreage. And so we email each other basically all day. But now we'll actually be able to meet up downtown and meet face-to-face. -face, and I think it'll be way more effective than, like, calling and texting and all that kind of communication breakdown that happens on a daily basis. Okay. So, yeah. Now, you've been at the Barcelona for 22 years. What are some of the, um, I guess, not fears, but are you trepidatious about anything making the move across the river? Um, I think we're definitely, like, we've definitely weighed out our options, and we, we definitely understand that, you know, White Ave is a place where there's foot traffic, where there's a lot of action going on. Um, but in terms of, like, uh, I don't know, uh, convenience, Ziedler is, or the Citadel in general, is just as easy to get to for a university student. Jumping on the LRT, it's 10 minutes away, and walking down White Ave takes about 20 minutes. So it's really the same, but I think it's a mental shift that a lot of people are going to have maybe some trouble with, being like, oh, they moved downtown, it's so far away, um, even though really it isn't. Um, well, and those people all have U-passes anyway, right? So it shouldn't be a problem. Ex exactly, yeah. They get to ride the transit for free. So that was my thing. I was like, it's really not further away. It actually takes longer to get down White Ave on a bus than it does to take the train. So, you know. Um, okay, so a little, a little concern that people might have a perception of distance. When you've been announcing uh, the move at, at your shows, what's the reaction been from patrons? It's been really positive. And we were actually, like, totally trepidatious about it. We were like, what are they going to think? 
Um, but everyone, I think there's something about the Citadel as like an institution um, kind of legitimizing, in a way, legitimizing improv, which is really interesting because it's kind of, feels like this national movement that like wasn't there 10 years ago where it's like, oh no, people are doing improv in like A houses in, and improv can happen alongside of like some Shaw or some Shakespeare, um, which is amazing. Like I think that's really cool. Um, so yeah, uh, people have been super positive about it. And also, the audience won't have to line up outside anymore in the winter. There's enough bathrooms for everyone. Those kind of things, I, I'm actually hoping will actually draw people there. I bet they will. I mean, I like using the bathroom as much as anybody else. Um, are there any, other than the move, are there any uh, new program, new programs you're going to implement or changes you're going to make? Um, we are, in April, having a festival con called Bonfire. And it's a long-form improv festival, something we've never done before. Um, and we, uh, so we, every June we run Improvaganza, which is our international comedy festival. Um, but one thing I realized was that we didn't have a festival that showcased us, that showcased our talent. So the cool thing about Bonfire is, A, it's a long-form festival, which Edmonton doesn't have. And Edmonton actually, like, in terms of long-form, is behind a lot of cities, but uh, it's just... Theater sports is our banner here, whereas like in Chicago, the Herald is their banner, which is a long form piece. Is that um, would that be like something like Dynasty? Is that considered long form? Yeah, Dynasty is like a directed long form, um, but within long form, there's so many different things you can do, um, and and some of them are, are not directed so hands on. Um, so it would be like a group comes out, does you know 45 minutes straight, and is like, thank you, good night, um, and which, which is what we do at our Chimprov show on Saturdays. But um, we're hoping that Bonfire can bring, um, yeah, bring a little bit of attention to long-form improv in Edmonton. And it's going to be amazing. There's some really crazy stuff because I opened it up to the whole ensemble and said, like, you guys pitch ideas, like, if you want to try a format that already exists or if you want to create a new one. Um, so some of the stuff they're doing is, like, I think it's going to be amazing. We're doing an improvised video project where improvisers go off to locations and create chapters of videos and they get run back to the theater and played like um, re real time for the audience. Uh, we're doing a show with um, Mitch Maddock where he records the dialogue in the scenes and remixes it into into uh, like a, a piece at the end of it. Like some really experimental stuff. So I'm super excited and that's April 10th to 15th. So we're kind of in mad um, workshop mode for that right now. Between the move and, and figuring out the workshop, is there anything that you need to do to prepare for the marriage celebration for the arts on April 2nd? Oh, well, I had to go look at my clothes. I got new shoes. That's, that's the, from my experience because I've been there a couple years in a row. All it is is schmoozing. So you just have to try and look good and meet everyone who you think you have to meet. And I don't even think they give a speech when they win. I, I can't remember. My ex no, usually not. They, so, it's just here's your award. Thanks yeah. for coming. So that's not too intimidating. I uh, the biggest concern is that my skirt will be long enough and my shoes won't be too high from the stage angle, so that people see my butt. That's really the only concern I've had. So well, I'm sure that I speak for all our listeners when I say we'll be on the lookout for that, just in case. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Amy. Thank you for having me. So I guess one of the questions that I have about the Canadian Video Game Awards 
uh, and you guys are the experts in the room here, is wow. do we have a good list of nominees there? Do, are there a lot of great Canadian game makers that aren't just well, Bioware and Ubisoft? Okay, so non-Bioware, non-Ubisoft. Um, Burn the Rope, Battlefield 3. Burn the Rope is supposed to be quite There's a lot of, I w- like, looking at this list, there's a lot of great uh, mobile games. And by yeah. the way, people, you can check this list out at CanadianVideoGameAwards.com. Yeah. And by the time you listen to this, they will so probably nope. have announced the final. Yeah, they're Tomorrow. supposed to be announced on the yeah. 26th, so that's, um, yeah. Burn the Rope, I would say, capsized, um, <clears throat> well, let's see here, um, my, magic, my magic Clash of Heroes is surprising because it's on that list. On this list. So is this considered a legitimate Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery? That, oh, I love that, that game. Win, yeah. If that doesn't like win an award yeah. or like every so mobile good. award, I'll be really shocked. Yeah, no, that was an excellent game. It's an excellent game. Um, um, is this is this a legitimate thing? The Canadian Video Game Awards? I is it say something yes, that because I like so. if you look at this list, right? Assassin's Creed, Battlefield Three, um, Deus Ex, Dragon Age, Driver, FIFA, Ghostbusters. Just Dance, which is like an enormously hot commodity. Really? Oh yeah, Just Dance. Just Dance sells like hotcakes. That and Dance <laughs> Central, they both it's a party sell, game. They yeah. just both sell like white people love to dance poorly. Um, NHL. I I feel like Spider Man. I, I want to see him dance now. I feel like that was a real shot at us. Warhammer 40k. Both Warhammer 40. Like <laughs> basically, like if you look at Vancouver, you have like and Vancouver is like you have Battlefield and Relic. Yeah. That's enough for a Canadian Video Game Award nomination like list. There's there's a lot of wicked games on this list. And the thing is, even if this list isn't as like huge as um I'm surprised Mass Effect's not on this. Is it on this? Uh, yeah, that'll be for next year yeah. probably because oh, it yeah, came out. That's true. Um but still like Canada has so many wicked developers that make so many games that people love that I'm that's I'm growing. shocked that this hasn't happened like this is only the third year. There's 230 game developers in this country. Holy shit. But it, yeah, it, man, it's a huge list. It's always growing, and Canada seems to be one of the, uh, the popular nations for a lot of uh, European and Asian yeah. companies for opening new studios. Like uh, Square Enix actually just opened a studio in Toronto, I believe. Yeah. The Square Enix Toronto now. Well, <laughs> I think it's more, it's, it's, it's under like the IDOS. <coughs> yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, and, and most likely, but. but uh, I, I, still, I still see the interest only going, cell, going up in opening companies uh, yeah. uh, in Canada, for sure. And it, looking at the list of these games, there's a lot of really impressive ones that I think deserve uh, recognition. I'm kind of sure. glad Warhammer... I hope Warhammer Space Marine actually makes it to the list, and X-Men Destiny does not. Now, Deus <coughs> Human Revolution, in particular, wicked, is, wicked is game. Very, wicked very game. Good. Well, a wicked game punctuated by thoroughly disappointing boss <laughs> fights. Yeah, you know yeah. what? I think those boss fights really got a bad rap. The first one's not great at all because really it's just shoot the guy in the face. But the other ones I actually did use like a lot of my wall, like seeing through walls and like stealth and stuff. I actually used my abilities. I'm not saying they're great. They definitely don't accentuate the positives of the game in any way. I agree with that. But they're not yeah. as like they're not as divergent from the game as everyone made them out to me, in my opinion. So based on this <clears throat> list. Because uh, you've just sort of glanced at yeah. it. What do you guys think the game of the year should be? On this list? Yeah, I mean, th- this doesn't even lump them into categories, but... But, but they will be. Yeah. Um, I'd say Battlefield 3 is a pretty good, con- solid contender. Deus Ex also. Dragon Age. Um, Assassin's Creed. Talk Mike. about another slightly disappointing game. Dragon yeah. Age 2? Yeah. You know, yeah, also, uh, it just felt like a very hollow game. It was, it was quite a departure from Dragon Age 1. And yeah. uh, I think that Fight that's that may be what was most disappointing mm-hmm. about it for hmm. me. Personally. I couldn't I couldn't get through the first Dragon Age. Um, really, I, I didn't care. Did you not like 
Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter? Or I played Baldur's, Baldur's Gate, Gate being re-released. Yes, and I have I, ha- I have it on good authority that if those two games do well, they'll, ma- they'll get to make ba- uh, Baldur's Gate 3, which Sweet. would be interesting. I will That's point out that there will be, but... that they have said there will be new content mm-hmm. in both of the Baldur's well, Gate it's re- games. It's completely redone, wow. right? Which is brilliant. Because you can't like upscale those games in any way. You kind of have to ground up that shit. Now, because uh, we're, we're we're short on time, yeah. Uh, I do want to ask what's next for you guys uh, with user created content. Because you you started doing some video content. You you have a website that's pretty decent, I should say. And you know, thanks. So, yeah. so what's uh, what's next? Do you know? We, not really. We're we're kind of in the transition phase right now. But like, w- I mean, we're getting more guests, and we're still trying to figure out when we're gonna build that room in your in your. No, I think we're, yeah, we're working on just setting up more stable. Wait a minute, are you guys making a sex dungeon at Matt's house? I wish. <laughs> no, I already have one. You have to clean that. What? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rubber not after walls. After what Corey did to that. <laughs> just, just, just setting up more uh, permanent recording space, and, mm. and I guess from there, just trying to identify and streamline what we're already doing, yeah. which is just kind of advocating uh, uh, for uh, video games. And the, the, the big and thing we're doing this year, it's not really a US, UCC thing, um, but last year we did the Extra Life charity for the Stollery, and uh, this year they're asking us to kind of spearhead that through the city. Cool. Yeah, which is kind of a big honor for us, honestly. And yeah. um, we went to the sponsor breakfast the other day on Friday, which was really interesting. It was it was kind of like it was one it was that moment where it was like really like how are we involved with this? Yeah, it just felt <laughs> like, so amazing to be a part of. And actually, we got to meet our uh, the the child that they paired up with Extra Life was actually this nine year old uh, gamer named uh, uh, Thomas Wildman who had uh, was diagnosed with leukemia I think when he was yeah like when he was three like three years, years old. old. Holy shit. Uh, there was this kid yeah. on that stage like I've had five open heart surgeries in my life. She had it by the time she was five years old, wow. and I was like holy shit. But yeah, That's I was intense. just talking with him, and he was telling me how much he enjoys playing uh, Mario Kart on his. Yeah, TV and he got to and be in. Bi- he got to go for bi- to, to a tour. Yeah, in it was Bioware. so interesting. Yeah. He, he got to go into Bioware and actually see them when they were working on uh, uh, the Old Republic, like <coughs> the space flight uh, battles there. And I was like, "Geez, you probably got to more, see more of that studio than I did when I was there." Yeah. But uh, uh, just talking to him, it made me feel really proud to actually be doing uh, yeah. Extra Life in Edmonton. Yeah, uh, and we're gonna year. we're gonna be making it a much bigger thing this year. It's gonna be on October twentieth or twelfth or something like that. Yeah, and um, early October. April. Yeah. Early April. Uh, we're going to have our, our social media presence kind of uh, begun and actually you'll be able to sign up for yourself and start uh, hashtag the extra life so yeah, and start getting involved that's great actually. yeah that's it <laughs> so this is a this is a gaming marathon you, d- yes. you just play a game for <clears throat> where, how does it work it's, it's 24 hours okay. uh, it doesn't have to be straight or anything you can do it uh, just before the event you can do it just after the event but you do obviously want to be raising your funds uh, the same uh, time then. frame yeah. yeah and they all go to the local chapter of your Stollery or, or of the uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospital which for Edmonton is the Stollery Children's Hospital cool and so, the thing is last year when we did it um, like our UCC started two weeks yeah. To, to the thing because we weeks before, before and we, it was going to happen that year we, and we like, ended yeah, up we raise... just want to raise all this money and <laughs> yeah but I mean we ended up yeah how, we ended up well raising we did, yeah we ended up raising like th- almost just under three grand which nice. is kind of crazy yeah, and, and... so we we were the in Edmonton we they ended up raising just a little over ten grand which is apparently number three in Canada yeah. which isn't really a lot. But we were number one in Edmonton. Right? Yeah, we were number one. Our group was number one in Edmonton. There were 58 participants in Edmonton. So I figure if, like, 58 people can raise 10 grand, we can easily get 100, 200 people to See, donate to this But thing. this year we want to make it all one team. Yeah. Extra, extra Life, Edmonton. Every, it's just Edmontonians. Everyone. Yeah, Edmonton, yeah. Edmonton gamers all, all getting together on one team to try to, try yeah. to do a group push. There was a um, – uh, I don't recall what 
organization, but it was some video game group, uh, uh, podcast mm-hmm. or a video content site or something, uh, last year, uh, late last year, who did something similar for uh, some children's charity, and they were playing uh, Desert Bus nonstop. What the hell is Desert Bus? Desert Bus was from the unreleased Penn and Teller video game from back in the day. <laughs> When Penn and Teller decided to make a video game, which was unplayable, okay. like on purpose, they, they went out of their way to make this terrible familiar. video game. But one of the one of the games, one of the sub games, was called Desert Bus, and it was you drove a bus between two locations in like the Nevada desert. I can't recall the two specific isn't locations. There, wasn't there a game I used to play in like elementary that was like maybe. that? It is an eight-hour <laughs> bus trip, real time, oh, and you can't just let the game run because the bus lists slightly to the left. <laughs> So you have to continue to control the bus or it will crash and you'll die. <laughs> and then when you get to the destination, your prize is the drive bus back. gets new passengers and you drive back. <laughs> and they were, they were playing the game as a marathon nonstop so long oh as people God. continued to donate money. And they raised gangbusters money. That is ridiculous. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Like See, to play the most a... tedious, boring game. And they had a yeah. cam set up so you could watch them playing well, and it that's live. that's the thing. It's like if we were all under one team, we could encourage other team members to do shit like that. If they want to do it as a group, like, and, like a group of friends. Friends yeah. being part of the team, they yeah. can do something strange like that and reach out to their friends. And like, we, I'd like to look into some form of like streaming in some way or like connecting co- like different stream channels and stuff. I don't know if we could do. There's got to be a way. There's yeah. got to be a way. And we'll help you guys promote this because it sounds awesome. Yeah, Agreed. that would be appreciated. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, we do have one more thing to do, and it's of course Adam's favorite part of the show. This is the That's fifteen, right? right? The, Quick, fa- the fast, fast fifteen. 15. The yeah. quick fifteen. Quick, fi- no, now, that's you, right? Yeah. Now the now the thing is, <coughs> because Ram, you've been on the show before. We're giving it all to Matt. That's fine. Uh-oh. So yeah. it's 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 not so it's really not like have... it's yeah. not trivia. You know the answers Scott, to these questions because they're all about you. <laughs> and so the, what the fast fifteen is, Matt, is we ask uh, the same thirteen questions of every guest that comes on the show, and then at the end we give you two questions that are tailored to your likes and loves. Okay. So we're gonna do the fast fifteen with, with, <coughs> with oh Matt Dykstra. Okay, what sure. Is yeah, your yeah. Quest? I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> I'm ready for this. What is your favorite color? That's actually the second question. How, how long what? should my responses be? Then? As, as quick as, as possible. Quick as possible. Okay. We call it fast. Okay. So here we go. The fast fifteen with Matthew Dykstra. Number one, your favorite food. Lasagna. Nice. <laughs> your yeah, favorite I love color. Lasagna. Purple. Um, <laughs> Matt. Why are you laughing at that? It's just who has a favorite? I've never heard that before. Psychedelic. Except purple. for like, you know. Never mind. That's not gonna happen. Mac, joke. Mac, Bad PC joke. or Linux? Oh, uh, Mac. I think yeah. Uh, dogs or cats? I, I have a dog, but I used to be fond of cats when I was a kid. So okay. I, I like both. I can get along with both. That's fair. Coffee <laughs> or tea? Coffee. Your favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite sport? Hockey. Favorite pastime? Gaming, video gaming, all the time. Right. <laughs> past Good. all time. It's pastime, hobby. I'm trying to turn it into profession. <laughs> if I can, I'll do it. <laughs> you know. um, what's your favorite music right now? Uh, right now, actually, I'm really enjoying uh, uh, Said the Whale's new CD, uh, Little Mountain. Uh, right on. You guys have heard that, but it's good. I have not. I will legitimately buy it tonight. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite movie right now? Right now, Tintin. Actually, it was, oh, it was the, my, my last, uh, and I actually recently it, rewatched it because I went to the bathroom during one like key action scene. <laughs> so, so when I when I got to actually see it that and then it's come out on Blu-ray, I was just like, wow, this like uh, I, I really really enjoyed Tintin again. Uh, again, shame that it was not nominated for best that is a animated see, but feature. But it did not get yeah. reviewed very well. 
I haven't seen it yet. Kate got my, I and, mean, bought it. And you know what? I'm not. Going I'm not really it. attached to the, the Tintin source material. I'm, I'm not one of. I'm, I'm, I'm. I may be too young to have been one of the kids who actually saw it every day after school or, or whatnot. But I really, really enjoyed that movie in terms of uh, its story presentation as well as its storyboarding. It's just so brilliant. Hmm. And actually, I had heard. Sorry, it's supposed to be fast. Continue. No, no. I, that's great. <laughs> I, I need to watch this now. What about your favorite video game right now? Oh, right now. Oh boy, uh, Rayman Origins actually. Oh, okay. But Journey. Oh yeah. Okay, hold on. You gotta you gotta, are you changing your answer? You got to well, preach the Journey because I know how he feels about it. That's why I was like, that's not the yeah, answer you yeah, really want to get. Rayman Origins might be my favorite right now, just be, just because I'm still actually running through it a second time, and, and I, I really love platformers. That's 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 uh, a genre that I really uh, really enjoy. But Journey is just such a different experience that I almost consider it a. Outside of gaming and above it to a certain degree, it's, it's really this game, odd. I, don't know, have you, have I played the first played chapter. Journey, Journey is basically a game in which you're in a desert. It looks beautiful, and, and you have to drive a bus. And there's like, stuff, uh, and you're this like sprite who can just travel around. And it's honestly, and like the first, I, I experienced it on, stuff. and the first five within the first nine minutes, I was like, wow. Like, Imagine Shadow uh, of the Colossus, yeah, without the boss fights, yeah, in sand. But just as enjoyable and just wow, as beautiful. Wow. That's basically yeah, what it's. That is a good. That's a very good description, actually. And it's actually a game that has the the, the, the perfect amount of time from uh, when you're introduced Beginning to the end. game world before it introduces different beats, and then it crescendos just perfectly. You can probably run through the game in about two hours. Yeah. But you'll want to replay replay it over and over again just because it's, it's such an enjoyable two hours. And Sweet. it's as I understand it, the kind of two hours that is a little bit different every time. Yeah, a little bit, especially cause it does this thing where it, it wirelessly networks you with anybody else who's playing the game so that you, they just automatically join your game. It's not like a multiplayer if they invite them or anything. Yeah. They just show up there, and you, you essentially have one button for, for speaking, but it just makes this, like... Like squeaking noise. Yeah, it's a... It's, it's also functional. It's, not, it's also functional so for it's other like can, puzzles and stuff. You can speak uh, to the person who's playing with you, and they'll just spam the speak button back. So just like your boop, 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 as you go, as you go yeah. through, it's interesting. Sounds like a stoner's paradise. Oh, totally. Okay. I well. mean, not that I would... Yes, certainly I not. I assume... Okay. There's certainly some paradise involved. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. All right, we're on to question 12. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Spider-Man. Oh, I would just say that's, that's my super. I always go back and forth Being between flying and invisibility, and I think I always I always come back to teleportation. Ooh. Yeah, you know, I would never be late for it, anything. Actually. It's so immediate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right up until you've been telefragged, situation. and then yeah. you don't want to do it ever again. Telefragged. You know, when you teleport and your foot's in a wall. Ooh. And then I you don't have a foot anymore because your foot's in a wall. There's a great ad that you should look up actually that does this. It's a. For a community college in Australia, where this guy just keeps teleporting to places until he finally teleports into a set of stairs and it falls apart. It's that's, that's called weird. telefragging. It's weird. That's creepy. Anyway, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, I think, because that's uh, what I mostly grew up with. Star Long Trek. The, the only my only experience with Star Trek is the J.J. Abrams movie, which was awesome. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. But other, outside of that, not too invested. Also, man, Sherlock being the bad guy in the new movie—that's brilliant. Yeah, the guy with the best name on the Benedict planet. Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch. Yeah, seriously, Bocked. it's Bocked. It's C. It's. Oh, it's I was not. calling him Cumberbatch. Yeah, it's Bocked. It's Cumberbocked. 
It would be that pretentious <laughs> motherfucker. Man, that show. That okay, Sherlock can we really can we diverge oh, so to, yeah, for that yeah. for a second? Because I, I did Sherlock. not like the ending of that sh- series. I haven't gotten the first it. one. A season two. Oh, I haven't done mm, really? nothing about season okay, two. Okay, yeah, yeah. I would please finish because I would love to talk about it. It is not. I was not happy. We with will it. do that on a later show. Yeah. Now, Matt, we are on to the wild card questions. Oh wow! Now this this first question is kind of a loaded one. <laughs> like okay. like all of our questions. Like all of our questions. I'm not trying to lead you in any direction, but I, I'll sure. ask the question. Are gamers getting a bad rap, or are they generally a bunch of juvenile bigots? And you'll know that I'm talking about... Mass Effect. Mass Effect, I'm talking about... Uh, the the the, the they of the Bioware writer yeah. who's, who's you know so tell me what you think about gamers. I think gamers get a bad rap because there's a very vocal subset of gamers that are juvenile bastards. Okay. Especially if you look at you know the internet uh, where anonymity allows everyone to just shit all over everything. You gotta, like I mean, it. I, I I don't know. I, I I whenever I go do Metacritic and look at game ratings and look at user reviews, but I don't read those. No, but I'm just saying it's representative of what the the, the gamer population is yeah. like. No, you're right. and they're, 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 especially in forums and stuff like that. There's st- there's still just a large percentage See, of, of people who are really ignorant. I would things, say I think. But I agree. No, I agree. Like it's it's a weird thing because I I kind of side with Matt on this, and I f- I feel like. I don't know whether it's like there's an age line or if there's just a civility line or what. I don't know what it is because I don't remember being that belligerent when I was 15, 16 years old. Maybe I was. I don't remember it. I don't remember being like that. Yeah. But maybe I was. I have no. Maybe you blocked it out. No, but I don't remember <laughs> or being like. Maybe you've been belligerent all along. <laughs> no, maybe we, we just put up with it. <laughs> and I, that's, that sounds that's, the most. That is theory. totally true. I mean, that's not that. But I'm less so. I'm in a belligerent in an adult manner. Um, <laughs> but course, no, but that's like what makes it so much. Like, I, the thing is, there's so much good in gamer culture, and, like, you look at Child's Play, you look at Extra oh, yeah. Life, no, you look at that stuff, there is tons of that. I don't know who those people are, because I don't think they're the people that play online when I go on Xbox Live. And that's the problem, is that when I'm online, I don't want to play with other gamers I don't know, I don't want to talk to on forums, ever. I've never been on a forum I'm, in my entire yeah, life, except for the Gateway one yeah. when we had it years ago. Because I don't like anyone that I've ever talked to. It's either someone who's intelligent enough to make the point I was going to make anyway or some belligerent douchebag who who like the same kind of people who will leave a game of Call of Duty the moment they see a female name on it it's fucking ridiculous I think one more thing I'd like to add to that is that uh, if if you don't understand gaming culture or you're outside of gaming itself you have a completely different notion yeah. of it, especially a lot of the, because like, it's hard to see past those people, especially when we don't like them. Like a lot of a lot of the the older generation, I don't think they I don't think they get it. I think they see every every gamer is is someone who <laughs> wastes their life playing something like World of Warcraft yeah. for hours a day and, and being a and not being a constructive it. member of the community. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's such a negative per- perception, and that's why we do things like 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 extra life and and things like like to to break that mold where gamers aren't like that at all at all. Yeah. I wish I could game more. Yeah, I, totally. I wish I could be that dude. Yes, <laughs> seriously. Sometimes, sometimes. I, and I think that. I think some of it is generational and age-wise because I think about it and it's like I I use the the term gay a lot to be negative but not derogatory towards gay people, but it's like a negative connotation that I use in a negative context. I don't mean to do it, and I know for a fact that it's from when I used to play Unreal Tournament online. Mm-hmm. 
when I was a kid. Yeah. And I just stuck. And it's and it comes in waves. Sometimes I don't say it for like months at a time. And sometimes it just like no, and I'm being very honest. I'm being very honest. And I appreciate that. I appreciate but it's, that. But How and does I know discrimination come in waves. No, it's not like discrimination. It's just like <laughs> no, no like... I do that. I do that with words. Like I get I get infatuated with words or terms f- like for a while and, yeah. I, and I drop them. Okay. But I do, but I know that it's not right and I try to stop myself but I know where it came from. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing. It's like I think it's somewhat generational because I don't think the arcade group really had the the ability to do become that in the first place. Those pack like the the guys before our generation like the Pac-Man guys they didn't really the, do that at all. I mean, they were in arcades and they had their greasers and whatever the fuck, yeah, but right? That's but because when a ghost ate you, it didn't like squat over your head repeatedly. Right, right. <laughs> but this is like, my thing. It's like <laughs> as we are able to communicate with each other in these, like, communicate with each other more and in more in larger ways in these AI, like these virtual constructs, it becomes more like it becomes a lot easier for for that negative part side of all of us to come out. I don't know what that that middle ground is and where like where we fit in in that yeah. i don't know i almost feel like i don't want to be called a gamer anymore because i'm just someone who really loves the game industry and loves entertainment but i don't i'm not one of those people and i don't know if they're the gamers or if we are i don't know that anymore it's it's a weird like existential place to be <laughs> that's like a, we've arrived at the m night Shyamalan twist oh, i feel like are i we feel the like gamers? no i, I, I do feel like we're the generation that's sort of pulling gaming up by its pants I, I I agree with you because, uh, I mean, it's something that we've grown up with. And yeah. as we've matured, hopefully, it seems like the games have matured with us. Yeah. Some of the yeah. people playing on, on servers and stuff like that have not. Or but they th- might, maybe they're right? they're really young. I don't know. I don't know what it well, is. Well, it's, I think it's because it's such a, a fast-growing industry, if you look at games, uh, how quickly they've changed between between decades. Yeah. We've seen that change a lot more readily than, than a lot of the other uh, yeah. the younger generations who just think that gaming in its current state is... Like they, they almost take it for granted because they don't remember eight bit or sixteen bit. That, yeah. That's kind of what, well, how I, I think. This is what I was tweeting about. This is why I was tweeting about Prometheus the other day about how I wonder what the marketing challenge must be for for marketing something like Prometheus to a group of people who have never seen Alien and the, and they did it in a brilliant way in the trailer by never referencing it. Even when they say from the director of, it's a director of Blade Runner and it's the director of of Gladiator, but they never mention Alien Scott. at all. Ridley Scott. Yeah. Ridley Scotch. Ridley Scotch. But they never. <laughs> Never, they never mention Alien at all, and yeah. it's smart because no one, like we only know it because it was a '70s movie. And we were uh, get '90s children, twenty years is not a huge gap. Yeah. Riley Scotch is, of course, a reference to the Superego podcast. GoSuperego.com, very, very funny improvised podcast. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the last yes. question. That one went on an epic tangent. That I think that might be a first. Congratulations. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're supposed to be fast. You never forget your first. But to, to be fair, he did it. You were, answer, you were asking me questions, and he jumped in <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, because I never do that. That's okay. <laughs> That's now, not something I do at My all. last question uh, <laughs> is is a genuine curiosity, because I'm not sure if I know what the answer is. I don't think I game enough to know. What is, in your mind, one of the best video game adaptations of a film? Of a film? It, does such a thing exist? Yes. Okay, now now we'll let Matt answer, yeah. and then you go. Cause... No, yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna go at all. I'm having a hard time thinking of a uh, film to game adaptation that I liked more than the film. Mm. At this moment, there was lots that I liked. I mean, I liked the Lord of the Rings games that they came out with, the, the back uh, and slashers. Some of them, yeah. Um, I mean, I like the back Back to the Future, but I'm trying to think of anything that I actually liked more. Does than Transformers the like this Fall for Cybertron count? It's, I, I, it's a licensed product. Uh, Fall for Cybertron is pretty pretty awesome, but I would, uh, I, I would count it. 
just for fun. And that's that's a pretty good game. To be honest, I think that the the <clears throat> original IPs that are that are in gaming are much much better than any of the adaptations, simply because right right from the get go with a design team, when you're given the freedom to kind of craft something new, it seems to me that you'd put more a lot a lot more effort but, into know, it than than trying to. Uh, uh, live up to something that's already exists in a different medium and already has a certain certain fan base. Mm-hmm. That's my my conception. But the only think? game that I can think of that is a film to game adaptation that was amazing, Blade Runner. I oh man, the Blade Runner point and click adventure about game. That in so long, that is, game is awesome. such a good game. That game is so it gorgeous. is very well put together. I've it's beautiful. It. It's a story that is original. But runs parallel yeah. to the uh, story in the movie, yeah. and you can see the stuff from the movie unfolding as you play. It's kind of like an and FMV game, and it's yeah. it's got so many possible mind screwing moments throughout it. And depending on how you play, depends on how events unfold. Yeah. So it's it was very smart. It was I would say in many ways ahead of its time, and part of a sadly almost lost genre of games. Yeah, the totally. Kind of point yeah. and click games. But if you can find a copy that you can run on your I, computer of the Blade Runner video so game, it is so worth games. it is so worth checking out. Now, I just thought of a game that I did like that was an adaptation of a movie. You're probably going to make fun of me, but uh, uh it was a Matrix game. Enter the Enter Matrix. Enter the Matrix. So much good potential in that game, yeah. just completely squandered. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm one of the only other people that actually really liked that game as well. I enjoy. I, I, I liked, just it was fun. Did you, did you ever do a lot of the hacking from the main menu in order to do all your, your cheats and stuff like that? No, in, no. Enter the Matrix. They had this whole separate thing where like you could actually use alter the alter the in-game stuff by going into this separate hacking mechanic where it was like you were hacking the matrix of the game. Cool. Like you could type in stuff and and it would change and stuff. Like weapons would be in different places. But, yeah. Okay. So that's it. That, that's, that's it for the Fast 15. And that's it for the podcast. We Ryan. do have to, although this conversation could go on limitlessly, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think you even structured, like, I don't even know how you're we, we never, this We on never your, structure. We, we have, this on your website we like, have oh, gone on record saying that we have interesting conversations with interesting Edmontonians. And I would say that this has been a success in that regard. I Agreed. Agree. Right on. Um, I would love to do a wrestling one with you and me and Greg Walker, Scott. At some point because, in the future, yes, we want to talk about Greg wrestling. Walker and I are enormous wrestling geek fwads. Really? Yeah. It's like basically that ended up being the reason him and I are friends is because we like both like wrestling and bonded on that and then that became our friendship. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Okay. We're done. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 66. Our guests, Raman Ostad and Matthew Dykstra, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
Um, so, how are things? Adequate. Things are adequate. I've put in my damage claim with the city. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. What? What? Uh, so you ran over a giant pothole. In the middle of the night in a not well-lit area. Okay. I went uh, and struck a pothole that damaged my right front tire. So More specifically, my right front wheel, not really the tire. The tire was salvageable. Uh, the rim was bent you needed beyond a, repair. You needed a new wheel, yes. a new rim. Uh, that that sounds expensive. Uh, it was about $150. That is expensive. Especially when you're saving up money to go on a, a honeymoon cruise. Um, yes. Damn it was, it. it was, and have to, uh, in fact, re-register your car by the end of the month. It was, it was an unexpected expense at a time when I could ill afford it because I'm already stretched pretty thin this month. So uh, I have put in a request with the city of Edmonton saying, this is your pothole. This is what it did to my car. I would like for you to reimburse me the cost of the repair of my of my wheel. I actually had something else fixed in my car at the same time because it was in. Yeah. Uh, but did not charge them for that. I was just like, I just want you to cover the cost of having replaced my wheel. Make That's all good. I want. Just yes. make good, city of Edmonton. And, do, do they- and, and to be fair, in my mind, $150 is pretty paltry for the city. I mean, that's that's lunch money for yeah. the city, I would presume. Um, so my hope is that I will be able to get it. Now, I have been t- stated, I have been told flat out that the city of Edmonton will immediately get back to me and say no. Is that right? And that that is their policy on all damage claims. Uh, a city power pole could have just spontaneously fallen over and crushed my house. And they would say, we will not reimburse you for that. Your house was in the wrong place. That is their policy. Okay. But that I need to persist with my inquiries for my money and that they will eventually relent. Is that right? Uh, because their their policy of just say no right off the bat usually gets rid of most, shall we say, spurious claims. Because okay. people will just b- drop the matter. But that uh, if my claim is serious enough, I should persist. And usually at that point, they will relent. Uh, my argument being... Your road was broken, and it broke my property. Uh, yeah, one could maybe make the claim that I should have been paying better attention to the road, but I will point out that there were three people in my car. Not one of us saw that pothole coming I, I because it was fair. it was in a poorly lit spot on the road, near to the curb by the windrow, which was partly obscuring. Oh, damn it! Now, in retrospect, I didn't know that I could file a damage claim with the city at the time, and so I did not take a picture of the pothole. Or of my damaged tire right. prior to its re- reparation. So all I have is my invoice from the shop and uh, my thing from the AMA indicating that this damage had been done to my vehicle. And then my word and the word of the three witnesses who were in the, or the two witnesses who were in the car with me, my wife and my friend. Um, hopefully that will be enough and that they won't be requesting anything further. But I did enclose photos of all of the above uh, with my claim. Oh, okay. Um, so yes. Now, uh, <clears throat> have you been near the, uh, the, uh, offending pothole since this? Group? No, but I had reported it yes. the day after Yes, and have uh, a case number from the city, which I included as well. This is my reporting of the pothole. Um, it is entirely possible in the ensuing week they've gone and repaired it. That could be. I've seen a few of those crews out. So. Yes. As have I, as the weather has been mild, they have been out trying to kind of alleviate the worst of the damage. Um, and I know that that area that I struck the pothole in, as a matter of fact, is pretty bad for potholes. It's a fairly high volume traffic area. So come spring, there's usually some rather significant craters there. Right. Um, 
But nonetheless, that, that doesn't mitigate the factor. And I realize that the city has been dealing with a pothole problem for you. It's also, I understand that that's the case. It's also that unfortunate thing of being a winter city. Yes, and not having heated roads, which I have been a strong advocate for since I discovered their existence. What? Oh, yes, we've talked about this. Yes. Um, but, uh, irrespective of that, um... The $150 in damage to my car is something I just can't afford right now. And if and I would like the city to pay me back because it was their road and their inability to keep it repaired that damaged my property. And although I'm certainly uh I'm certain I certainly have a certain understanding um of of the situation the city is in. Uh, I still want them to pay for my car. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. It's weird that there aren't heated roads here or that someone hasn't invented some kind of asphalt that just is completely impervious to the damages of like, Or a flying craters. car. Or a flying car. I just want my flying car. Uh, if the city could buy me a flying car, I'd be happier. I don't think you're going to get one for $150. No, no probably not. But, but I, will, I will be okay with them paying for the cost of... Uh, repairing my wheel. I, I am also aware that it will be like six to eight weeks before I probably even get their initial no. Um, and they probably have many other damage claims that come in on a regular basis. So uh, for all those working with the city who listen to our podcast, and I know that there are some. There are a few, yeah. Um, if you can lend a brother a hand, that'd be good. I just trying to go on a honeymoon. He just could really used that $150 right now. He just wants to treat his lady to good times. D- uh, that, that <laughs> Actually, now that I think about the way, that was a terrible way to phrase that. Indeed. He would like to go traveling. With his lady. With his lady, yeah. As opposed to, tra- I can treat her to good times at home. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I don't need to go somewhere else for that. Ding dong. Sounds like our guests are here. Yeah. So uh, we will end this brief interlude. Yeah, and go and fetch them. Go, indeed. Bring them to the... Rec- Cordarium, rec- recordarium, the studio. Okay.